This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. From the quarantine ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 586 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm the number one head around here, but you might know me better as the internet's Joe Patrick. And my name is Matt Baum, and I'm the show's number two, if you You got that right. This week, we're reviewing eight comics from New Comic Wednesday, August 19th. And after that, it's up to THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, the comic pushers are back to help one comic junkie get his Rosh Al Ghoul fix. Rosh or Raish or Raz? How do you say it? Raj. I think it's Raj. I think I usually say Raish, actually. Raish Al Ghoul. Raish Al Ghoul? I don't know. Yeah. I think in the movie, in Batman Begins, they said Raish, I believe. No, I think they call him Raz. Raz Al Ghoul. Oh, you're right. They did call him Raz. Yeah. I don't know. It's up there. Who knows? You ask me, I'm a real racist. (laughs) Hey. But before we wrap about Batman's baby daddy-in-law, it's review time in the ziggurat. I bet a lot of people forgot the Batman baby. Yeah, you got a baby. This week, our pile is full of half-plant ex-Avengers, a balding future Hulk, religious extremist anti-zombie squads, and a Wonder Woman that does feel like she needs a death metal soundtrack. But... Before we get started, the THN bar manager has a bat-themed cocktail to help wash our comics down. Justin, what are we drinking this week? All right, nerds. So this week we're talking uh, Raz or Ra's al Ghul. Uh, My first introduction to this character was through David Warner's uh, voice acting work in Batman the Animated Series. Um, And then obviously later with Liam Neeson. But I will say David Warner... Also, the asshole um, kind of bodyguard in Titanic, um, Helena Bottom Carter's father in the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes film, which nobody liked, but I really, really enjoyed. Um, David Warner's been around forever. Uh, If you haven't seen his rendition of uh, Ra's al Ghul, uh, you should definitely check it out. Uh, There's definitely at least, I don't know, maybe four episodes on Batman the Animated Series. Maybe more. I'm not sure. But definitely definitely give it a whirl. So this week, um, we're going to do kind of a tiki drink. A drink that's on my new menu at the new place that I work. Um, It's... It's somewhat relevant. At the same time, I can understand how somebody might say that it's not. But this week, we're just going to do my my variation of a zombie. Now, I realize that Ra's al Ghul's not a zombie. Um, but the Lazarus Spit did kind of render him immortal in the sense that he had just lived multiple lifetimes. And I do think that over all those lifetimes, he did become more zombie-like in the sense that he was just kind of uh, dead into the world in a way. Uh, But anyways, here's how we're going to do this. First, we're going to take some um, passion fruit liqueur. Um, There's uh, some really great stuff in our market called Passau. Um, You're going to take an ounce of Passau. Um, You're also going to take an ounce of a white rum. Um, Then you're going to use a half ounce of simple syrup, um, one ounce of orange juice, a half ounce of lemon juice, 
and a half ounce of lime. Now you're going to put all of those into a shaker, uh, pour on some ice, shake, 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 give it a really good shake to agitate all that juice. And then you're just going to pour the contents into uh, a Collins glass. Now how I would typically serve this is I would serve it on crushed ice, though any kind of ice honestly will work with this drink. Um, Give it a whirl, see what you think about the zombie. If you want my actual take on it, come out to Pacific Eating House and I'll let you try one. All right, nerds, enjoy. Hold. So we got to call this one the Lazarus Pit, right? We have to. Oh, yeah, obviously. Without a doubt. That sounds fucking delicious, by the way. <laughs> David Warner, also the villain in Time Bandits. Oh, no kidding. Oh, man, yeah. I love Time Bandits so much. <laughs> oh, God. Now I need to watch Time Bandits tonight. I haven't watched that movie in too long. Terry Gilliam. Uh, it's on HBO like tonight or tomorrow. I said I recorded it, so I'm looking forward to it. I don't live in that world anymore, Joe. I summon things. Yeah, to I know. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, Excelsior, Joey. And uh, yes, Excelsior. Why don't you start us off? All right. First up for me is Atlantis wasn't built for tourists. Number one from Scout Comics. This one wasn't actually on the release list online, but it did ship today uh lucas lewis drifts into atlantis county oregon wanting nothing more than a hot meal and a soft bed for the night what he finds is a twist i didn't see coming and won't spoil here this was a great read from writer eric palicki and artist wendell cavalcanti i found lucas to be a likable protagonist and the mystery of atlantis to be really compelling well, there was a couple of odd anatomy moments here and there. I thought Cavalcanti's art was great. Uh, it reminded me a lot of Steven Sadowski, who was the artist that helped relaunch the JSA in the late 90s. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a I that's really good. Yes. Uh fun fact, Eric Palicki is the brother of actress no. Adrienne Palicki, no! star of Friday Night Lights, no! Agents of Shield, <laughs> and the David E. Kelly Wonder Woman show that oh sadly god. never happened. I love her so much. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is that is neither here nor, nor there though. I really loved Atlantis wasn't built for tourists number 1. I'm giving it a buy it. That is both here and there. So, I'm not going to listen to your crap. I love her so much. Oh my god. Uh, but it has no bearing on this comic. It has no bearing on this comic, which I also very much enjoyed. There was a couple little things like you like you said. There is a really good twist that I did not see coming at all. This just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, no, for real. Like, I didn't know anything about it going into it. And so when it revealed itself, I was like, whoa. Okay, right. Great. Yeah. When it became what it turns out to be, I, yeah, I then right. it. There's a lot of things you can do in comics that are twists just for the sake of a twist, and you go, all right, I get it, whatever. This was very clever. I'll say that without spoiling anything. I'm also giving it a bite. Now, I think if I had read the solicit first, it would have taken some of the punch away because the solicit totally gives it away. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It flat out says it. Oh, I didn't um, read the solicit but either. But I so. did not, and so I think I had a better experience because of it. Okay. My first review goes to Shadow Service, number one from Vault. This is written by W. Kavan Scott with art by Rebecca Isaacs. Gina Myers is a hard-nosed supernatural detective in London, and she's not just investigating the creepiest, most vile supernatural crime, though. She's using magic to fight it, along with a talking rat sidekick. There was some... Definite Hellblazer vibes here, but Kavan and Isaacs have a great character in Gina that's not just good with magic. She's also like the hard-nosed detective that's not afraid to take a punch or even get 
I don't know, a bar chair thrown in her face. The story leans into the gore, which can be very hard to do well on the comic page. But I got to say, Isaacs makes it look disgusting. You can go one of two ways, really. You can do like the very realistic gore, or you can do sort of cartoony, like Michael Avon Oming powers gore. And that can right. also be effective. She was fantastic here. I, I loved it. She does a great job making Gina look like a real person in real clothes. Later on, I'm going to talk about a Catwoman book where everyone was dressed like they came out of Battlestar Galactica 2001, maybe. <laughs> Her panels are fully realized, full of very real people and believable locations. This was some of the best work I've seen from Isaacs. Kavan's story hit the ground running, but it also does a great job of building Gina's grimy London world. I love the talking rat sidekick. I'm giving this a huge buy. It was just a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great. You know, uh, it's it's very similar on paper to um, Greg Rucka and Nicola Scott's Black Magic. Kind of. Uh, except that, you know, she's a detective, not a cop. Right. Um, but, yeah, I thought this was great. I love, I love Rebecca Isaacs. She is. I just think she's awesome. getting better. When, yeah. When I say this is some of the best work from her, I don't mean like she's vastly improved from something that wasn't good. She just keeps getting better. I mean, that's how art works. You know, you keep doing it, you get better at it. Well, some um, do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's practice makes perfect. There's, that's what they say. There's others uh, that I would argue. <laughs> Maybe it's time to stop. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, you know. Next up for me is Maestro, number one from Marvel, legendary Hulk writer Peter David returns to finally reveal how Bruce Banner became the despotic Maestro in his classic future imperfect storyline, there isn't anything especially groundbreaking in this first issue, uh, which does have echoes of old man Logan. You know, it's kind of a dis a dystopian future, nuclear wasteland, blah, blah, blah. But we also kind of knew that. Like at some point, right? Though like future imperfect mentions like everything went to hell, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. No, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's still great to revisit David's take on the Jade Giant and his multiple personalities. Anyone familiar with David's run knows that any moments of hope for the character are fleeting, and he absolutely delivers on that expectation here. The art by Dale Keown and German Polaralta is absolutely stunning. Uh, without spoiling anything, the way the artists split up the issue makes total sense, and the color art by Jason Keith and Jesus Abertov brings it all together. Maestro number one was a welcome return to one of my favorite eras of the incredible Hulk. It gets a huge buy. It. Yeah. I totally love this. And you're absolutely right about the art. We talked about how Dale Keown is very slow and we were worried, but they, they played to his strength here and did yeah. something with him that made perfect sense. German Peralta. Holy shit. That so guy's good. good. So Man. great. Right? Like, yeah. Like, and it's hard to talk about it without spoiling what's happening in the story. <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to say how it's split up. But there is a, a shift. There's a definite shift. And when you get there, it makes perfect sense. And it is awesome. Uh, by the way, we've been screaming about how DC is trying to tell all these different disparate stories that take place in different realities and different, you know, multiversal whatever. This is revisiting a future storyline from a Hulk story that hasn't happened yet. And it still feels very much in line with the Hulk 
as we know him and love him in the Marvel universe. Yeah, it does. It does. It did feel like a normal Hulk story. This totally works. I loved it. And yes, it was a flashback to this shit that I loved about Peter David's smart Hulk and where that ends up. But it worked so well. It worked so well. I'm giving this a giant buy it. I loved it. And you know what? I thought that it was a one shot and I was so thrilled that it was to be continued at the end. Yeah. Oh, awesome. It's a whole mini series. This was fucking fantastic. Loved it. My next review goes to Dead Day, number two from Aftershock. I picked up number two because we missed number one. So I'm kind of reviewing both. This is written by Ryan Parrott, and it's got art. Look, that's not what we agreed to. I understand, and you don't have to if you can't keep up, baby girl. I understand. Don't worry. I can't keep up. Art by Ivegni Bornyakov. I wasn't sure I needed another zombie book in my heart, but the premise of Dead Day is pretty cool. Once a year, the dead come back to life, but they're not the flesh-eating zombies of The Walking Dead. These zombies remember their lives, and some of them just want to spend their one day seeing their loved ones, visiting home, and others want to get revenge. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Ryan Parrott writes a really great script with solid dialogue, very interesting world building. They they hit you with the story, simultaneous stories of this kid that is living with his parents in a world where Dead Day is a thing and a guy that is coming back from the dead on Dead Day. So you have two very disparate stories that are joined by real world things like this anti-zombie religious cult that has come up that are basically like the Minutemen that patrol, you know, the border of Texas. They're not cops. They have no business doing that, but they believe they're doing the Lord's work and killing zombies. Bornikov has a really clean, thin line, but he's not flashy at all. He's just solid. His panels have really great depth and point of view. I didn't think, like I said, there was much more in the zombie genre that could interest me, but dead day is a really cool take on the undead in a relatable, very real world setting with a really good mystery. They're building you. I'm giving this a buy it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have much more to add. I agree. It was, it was a fresh take uh, on the concept kind of mixed with a real world allegory. Right. And, um, the art is the art is really good, uh, and I had a fun time with this. I, I I did what you did. I caught up on one and two, and uh, yeah, it this is a solid piece of work, and it's just it's not the same old zombie trope that you're used to, which I thought was really refreshing. I'm giving it a buy. It like parrot. I'm gonna give that guy props. He is one of those guys that's like working with Kyle Higgins on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers stuff at Boom. And his shit is just as good. We should not be enjoying Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Oh, yeah, no, at right. Our age. Great. He's great. Uh, <laughs> like, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, you know what? I take that back. Enjoy whatever you want. There, there's no age restrictions. You know, like, it's not being written for little kids anymore. But I mean, obviously. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is classically known to be cheesy, dumb. Not anymore. And the comics are way better than they the source really material. are. I, it's ridiculous I, like, how much I got. And I, I have to say, like, this isn't really a spoiler because it's like on the second page. But like <laughs> the woman at the information kiosk. 
Yeah. As the zombies are pouring through the gate. She's like, welcome back. I am your afterlife like assistant here to help you all get where you need to go. Really great. Yeah, I liked this a lot. It was fun. All right. Next up for me is Wonder Woman Dead Earth number four from DC. This was an absolutely amazing post-apocalyptic superhero free-for-all, courtesy of Murder Falcon creator Daniel Warren Johnson. Matt was right. This had like heavy metal music playing in the background in my mind the entire time I read it. It's so good. It's so good. I wish this were DC's big event of the year instead of death metal. I totally agree. Like this is, and this is not me bagging on Scott Snyder or anything about the, uh, about death metal itself. It's that this is such, this is such a much more compelling dark future you know, scenario. 100% agree. Not to mention the fact that it's just free of all the bullshit. It's just free. It's not worried about it. It's just telling the story that it is. It's completely badass. It totally works. It's free of continuity. You don't have to worry about any of this shit. They're not like trying to cut jigsaw puzzles and smash them together. It just is what it is. There are things. So I had to do some catching up. So I'm also sort of reviewing three and four here, not not to cheat, but like when they reveal what Diana did in issue three and you know what I mean when yeah. you get there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh, it was like a punch through my heart. But it's also like, no pun intended. So well done because it's not, they're not doing something so bizarre with the character that you're going to put the book down and be like, come on. No, right. No, yeah, no, absolutely like, not. It makes uh, sense. It works with what they've developed with the character. It, I never scratched my head. I never found myself going, what the fuck am I even reading here? You're like, right. This was just great. Johnson's Johnson's creature designs are epically gross. Yeah. And I'll remember the twists that he delivers here for a long time. Uh, especially Diana crafting her greatest weapon from a combination of her golden lasso and something else I really do not want to spoil here. Please read it. Johnson's usual colorist, Mike Spicer, is here to round out the artistic package. It's gorgeous. Uh, I was also really happy to see that the door was left open to tell more stories set in this world. Yeah. Wonder Woman Dead Earth is if not the best, it's one of the best things to ever grace the black labeled non imprint. It is the perfect use. Yes. Yes. Of this, like could be in continuity if you really want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. It's a huge buy. This it's is fantastic. This is fantastic. exactly what I keep screaming about when I say, what is black label? What is black? Label? This is what black label should be. Just free of continuity. We're going to tell a cool story. We're not trying to fit it into anything. We're not trying to borrow anything. We're not even trying to build on anything. This is just insanity, completely badass Wonder Woman story. Put on a carcass record and and read this book. It's so goddamn. Not to mention the fact the art is gorgeous. It's it's it's, yeah. it's just as spastic and as lunatic as the story itself. Daniel Warren Johnson, in my opinion, is one of the most exciting creators working in comics today. I love that DC gave him this shot, and I can't wait to see what he does next. I hope they give him more. This is a massive buy it for me. Same, and you know, like you said about it being free from continuity, but at the same time, if somewhere down the line they wanted to do a story where like. 
Wonder Woman in the present day gets transported to the dark future of sure. Earth. Sure. Fine. Well, yeah, absolutely. Make it fit. There's no reason why it can't fit as an alternate future, just like anything Marvel has ever done. There's also nothing that happens in this story that I would have a fundamental problem with Wonder Woman's character. You know what I mean? Right. Like even the huge twist in the issue three, which is awful. There is nothing fundamentally wrong that happens that I would say there's no way that character would ever do that. I can't believe well, they're doing it. And that's shit. that's all credit to Johnson because yeah. the way he builds to that moment. Yes. You're like, yeah, absolutely. That's how she would react. Yeah, this was wonderful shit. This must buy stuff. My next review goes to Empire Swordsman, number one from Marvel. Your creative team, it's written by Dr. Alex Packnadel. Did you know he was a doctor? He's a doctorate in literature. And he's writing about comics. God bless that man. He is smarty pants. With art by Thomas Natchlick. The swordsman and his son, the Kotati Celestial Messiah, steal dad's old sword back and head to Vietnam, where a group of Kotati trees were planted years ago. But... They're greeted by Alchemax employees. That's uh, one. Who's our 2099 guy that's always freaking out? Uh, 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 Corey Michaels. Corey Michaels. There you go. Corey Michaels, like, his heart grew two sizes <laughs> while he read this, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Sent to retrieve the trees. I expected nothing here other than some morbid curiosity about the swordsman and how he became half plant. Pack Needle's script is great. It spells out the entire story of the swordsman and his son. I even got a little emotional at one point. <laughs> and Nashlick's art is really solid. Packneedle does a fantastic job making us care about a half-plant, forgotten Z-list Avenger and his plant son. This was a pleasant little surprise. Now, it is by no means must-read stuff if you're not heavily invested in the Empire crossover. But I really enjoyed this. I, I just wasn't ready for it. It nailed me. I immediately went back and read the Celestial Messiah one shot that Pac Nail read, and that was also great. I am giving these both, that's your bonus review there. Both of these get a buy it. This was way better than it had any business being. And I'm chalking it up to Al Ewing saying, if I'm going to have a crossover like this, then we're paying attention and we're putting in the work. This was fantastic. Yeah, I have to give Empire, I have to give Marvel credit for making the Empire tie-ins feel substantial. Important, even. Even if they're not, even if they're not necessary, they also don't feel like uh, a waste of time. Yeah, definitely. And I thought this was a great read. I, I was not as enamored with the art as you were, um, but it's also, you know, it's not the worst. I thought he was uh, really I, good. I loved the story. I love the story. And Pac Natal is a great writer. I had a lot of fun with this. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, it's just when you go into one shots anymore, it's easy to expect nothing because for the most part, you can do whatever you want with it. Nobody cares. Who knows? Like if, if people are invested, they're going to buy it or not. This, we were having trouble making our picks. I grabbed it. I loved it. <laughs> I totally loved it. Yeah. You know, sometimes something surprises you and I'm, it's always nice when that happens. My final review of the week goes to voyage to the stars. Number one from IDW 
Earth is gone. Only one intrepid crew of misfits managed to escape. Now determined and ambiguously destined to stop a growing ancient evil from consuming the universe. Though stopping it may be tricky, as our heroes can't help but destroy just about every planet and species they come across. Wah, wah. Hey, oh. Uh, apparently, Voyage to the Stars is based on a hit comedy podcast of the same name, which explains why it's trying so hard to be clever every minute of every page. I don't know if it's because I'm not familiar with the podcast, but most of the jokes just fell flat for me. Though I do admit, I did chuckle briefly during the opening scene where the ship's captain installed truck nuts on a giant mech. That was kind of stupid funny. I also really enjoyed the art by Connie uh, Diadone and colorist Reggie Graham. It's got kind of a very cartoony, um, squirrel girlish kind of vibe to it. You definitely, know, not definitely. not very like um, not not very photorealistic. Just kind of solid cartooning. Voyage to the Stars number one was a well executed issue that just really wasn't for me. I'm giving it a skim it. Okay, so this book suffers from a similar thing that I bitch about with the Adventure Zone comic. Whereas I love the Adventure Zone podcast. It's fantastic. I, I listen to it constantly and it just doesn't translate as well to the comics. I was not aware of this podcast until we decided we were going to review this. And I listened to the first few episodes. It's very good. And it's very funny. I, I they're excellent to tell you the truth. And I'm going to listen to more. Okay. I just, don't think that it translates to comics well. I think when you try to reverse engineer this shit, you lose something. And I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm giving it a skim it as well. It was fine. I just, it's not working for me. It, you're not capturing the magic of the people behind the podcast. And that is yeah, the magic. You know what I mean? I, I feel like for me, the Adventure Zone, like I'm such a huge fan of the McElroy family. Yeah, you want to make out with them so bad that you can't. I do. I really do. <laughs> uh, that, you know, I I read their graphic novels with their voices in my head. No, and I can hear it too, I, I suppose. I just, I need them there. I just with need them this, there. With this though, like I had nothing. I had no context. I had no frame of reference. And I feel like if I was a fan of the show- I'd probably like this better. It is very good. But, but in listening to the show and after I read it, I was still like, I don't think I need the comic. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to continue to listen to the show. It's funny. I like it. Yeah. It, it's like, it's, it's similar in my mind to the Thrilling Adventure Hour comics that yes, they've done. Exactly. Which, some of which I've really enjoyed, especially the ones uh, that Phil Hester drew uh, about. Um, yeah, the, this is Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. Yeah, Ben Ben Zacker and Blacker, right? And uh, uh, Frank and Sadie Doyle, the parent, the paranormal booze hounds, yeah. uh, like that. That I liked, but then there was the other one about like the Martian cowboy sheriff that I, I'm just not as into. Which is probably you know, it's very funny when they do it on the podcast. I, I yes, bet it's great. Yes, it it's just it doesn't always translate well. I totally agree. Take us home, Bubby. My final review is of Catwoman twenty four. From DC. Now, this creative team, Sean Murphy and Blake Northcott, with art by Cian Torme, actually took over with Catwoman 23 very quietly. So I'm kind of reviewing both there. 
Catwoman hops on a plane to Isla Nevada for an auction and a gala attended by criminals, all of which know who she is and think she's there to steal the list. Now, here's the thing. I'm having a criminal auction. I got all this. I got I got stuff from Gorilla City. I got stuff from Kondak. I got like crazy shit. Catwoman shows up. The first thing I do is arrest her or kill her or lock her up because she's a fucking thief, right? Come on. <laughs> like if we all but know I mean, her. She's also a criminal. Why, why wouldn't she be there? Whatever. Regardless, everybody there thinks she is there to steal the list. And the list is all the information that heroes have compiled on the bad guys. So I don't really know why they need that if they've already got it and it's for sale. I mean, just throw it away or something, right? Whatever. Make photocopies and pass it around. I guess, yeah. <laughs> right? But she gets wrapped up with a giant jaguar god that hunts the jungle and its keeper. Torme's art is very good, and Ezio Placentia's colors didn't hurt either. This is a very nice-looking book. There were some size issues with the Jaguar. Sometimes it was, like, King Kong size. Other times it was just sort of giant. And I don't get the choice to put Catwoman back in the Batman the Animated Series costume at all. Joelle Jones, like Catwoman, had a very stylish, like the the cutout armpits are kind of weird, but the costume was still leather and reminiscent of like that Ed McGuinness Catwoman that we all really liked. This rips her out of that and puts her straight up in the gray animated Batman, the animated series costume, which I don't get at all. The script here. I mean, but who cares? Like she switches costumes. That's I the big deal. guess, but it was weird. And the script is bad. The dialogue is trying to be snappy, but it comes off super dated and dumb. The story is setting Selena up for this incredible white savior story for the colored people of the island who are just props fighting against the stupid Miami Vice themed drug cartel that feels as dated as Murphy and Northcott's humor. I didn't love Joelle Jones Catwoman, but I got to say, this feels like a huge step back, and I don't know what this creative team is going for. I'm giving this a leave it. This was bad. Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, so here's my hot take. Sean Murphy is a bad comic book writer. He's not good. He does not write good comic he books. He is an exceptional artist. Like His art is great. Amazing. And I uh no, you know what? Uh what was the book? Joe the Barbarian? Yeah. That was Grant Morrison who wrote that. Grant Morrison wrote it, Sean Murphy drew it, and it was beautiful. Yes. It was um Punk it, Rock Jesus lost me after two issues. It was beautiful to look at. And like even White Knight, it was gorgeous. Beautiful Batman, to look at. Batman the White Knight. Not it, a it's good comic book. Awful. It it's was awful. terrible. Uh on top of that. And that's that, that that is not speaking towards the quality of this comic, but Sean Murphy and Blake Northcott have both benefited and accepted uh, praise and support from the comics gate community and then claimed ignorance after the fact. Uh, so they suck. They suck. Uh, this comic book sucks. I did not like it. It gets a leave it. I don't know why DC continues to hire them. That sucks. I agree. That's not why I didn't like it. I didn't like it because it's, it just wasn't good. Oh, no, no. I didn't like it because it's a bad comic book. Yeah. 
All right, that's it. Which book wins, Matt? What is your book of the week? Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, number four. No question. Hands down. I mean, that's... Hands down. No question. That storyline was just exactly what they should be doing with Black Label, but they are not doing it. It's a perfect example. And Just take that model and do that with Black Label. I'll get it. I'll stop bitching, and I will love what they do. It, it was just excellent. Give younger creators like Daniel Warren Johnson a chance to write Wonder Woman, to write Batman, to write Superman, a chance he would never get in the regular series, you know? Yeah. And good shit will happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Maestro was a contender, but Maestro also requires some sort of connection to that original storyline. Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, you can read this clean. It was tight it for clean. me. It was very tight for me with the Maestro book. It really was because I, I just love Peter David so much. And it just, it plays upon so much history, but still works so well today. You know, like, yeah, that's, but that's I, what, what sealed the deal for me was that Dead Earth number four was the conclusion of a storyline that just got better with every issue. No, definitely. Definitely. And when read as a whole, it's a phenomenal piece of work. Yeah, that's one that's going to be around for quite a Nerp! That is your new comic reviews for this weekend. Nerp! Is the sound of Hercules giving Thor a purple nurple. As seen in the pages of The Incredible Hercules, number 136, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Molen Week via the emails. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts, or you can purple nurple us, just like Molen Week did, and send us an email to nerd at gmail.com, or better yet, call us, make the noise, or show up to our house and tweak our nipples. <laughs> Tell us where it came from, though. That's the that's the most important part. We need to know where it came from and what is making Context, the maybe. sound. Context. Yes. Uh, Molen, Molen Week sent us an entire email with a dozen onomatopoeias in it, and somehow they were all from the Incredible Hercules. God bless that guy. That, the Incredible Hercules was so good. I loved that it was. series. Me too. Me Greg too. Pack, man. Nobody writes Hercules like that guy. Bob Layton is still my favorite Hercules writer. Don't get me wrong. But Greg Pack did a great job. You can't tell me those Bob Layton books hold up as well as they did. They back totally then. do. They're still so much fun. They're yeah. ridiculous. They're totally ridiculous. I love them. <laughs> that is it for reviews. And now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where I've set up a spread of some high quality Kotati Kratom. That's going to help us mellow out and rap about our must read picks for next Wednesday, August 26th. Matt, what's your pick? This ain't no truck stop. Kratom we're talking. This is otherworldly alien Kratom. Real I Kratom was like vape stuff. Nah, 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 man. Trust me. It's a, it's a whole thing. My pick for next week is Sun Eater, number one of nine from Heavy Metal. It is written by Dylan Sprouse with art by Diego Yapur. Cover by Brian Stelfreeze. 32 pages for $4.99. Before I read your solicit, does the name Dylan Sprouse? Yes. Dylan Sprouse is Jughead. <laughs> Dylan Sprouse is not Jughead. Dylan Sprouse is Cody from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody from Disney. Wait, wait a minute. Yes, dude. Dylan Sprouse was on The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. No shit. Cole Sprouse, Jughead. Z Dylan Sprouse, Cody. <laughs> like, it's a whole thing. Wow. We. So, check oh, it out. 
They've both gone super dark, apparently. Here is your solicit. Ninth century Norway is a land of bloody and civil strife, fanatical religious upheaval and exploration. At its center is the warrior. I, I'm not even going to try it. Kveldufbjalfethun <laughs> is a drug addict and father willing to become a monster in order to save his son from his sworn enemy, King Harold Fairhair. This historic tale of war, peril, and atonement launches a new series of books for heavy metal with a stunning cover by veteran artist Brian Stelfries. Now, I'm looking through what's coming out next week. Nothing's really jumping out at me. There's this cover. It looks completely kick-ass. And I search preview of Sun Eater. Let's check it out. The art is fantastic. Diego Yapur is super talented. And they make this Zack and Cody joke in the preview. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> They don't say star of Zack and Cody, right? And I'm just like, I don't get it. So I Google it. Turns out. Dylan yeah, Sprouse. Like, <laughs> yeah. like for up, up until this moment, I could not bring myself to believe that it was the same Dylan Sprouse, but it is. It's the same Dylan Sprouse. It's that he's out there guy. doing interviews about how much he's about how personal this project is for him. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. I gotta see. <laughs> I have to see. That's totally fair, man. Joe Patrick, <laughs> what is your pick? Uh, you know what? It it just. It it had to be Batman, the three Jokers number one. They you, finally they pre-ordered three hundred thousand copies of this. Yeah, that's what Jim Lee says. It Holy sure is what he says. Crap. Yeah. Uh this is from DC Comics Black Label, written by Jeff Johns with art by Jason Fabok. It's uh some pages for six ninety nine. Unfortunately, that information is no longer available in oh. the diamond retailer system. Oh, I thought it, well, that's because DC probably. Yeah, so. yeah. Here's your solicit. Thirty years after Batman the Killing Joke changed comics forever, three Jokers re-examines the myth of who or what the Joker is and what is at the heart of his eternal battle with Batman. I would argue it does a little more than that, but okay. <laughs> well, sure, yeah. Uh creative team, blah 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 bleep bloop. Reunite to tell the ultimate story of Batman and the Joker after years of anticipation, starting in DC Universe Rebirth number one. Yeah, literally years. The epic <laughs> miniseries you've been waiting for is here. Find out why there are three Jokers and what that means for the Dark Knight and the Clown Prince of Crime. It's a mystery unlike any Batman has ever faced. Prestige format. So apparently this started when Batman sat on Metron's chair and he sat, asked, uh, yeah. So this this goes all the way back to before Rebirth, when the New Fifty Two right. was still going on. It was the Dark Side War storyline happening in Justice League. And Batman asked, "What is the Joker's real name?" Batman sits in the Mobius chair, and yeah, he uh, uh, he asks what the Joker's real name is. The chair goes ping, 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 and Batman's like, "Whoa, whoa." That can't be. Huh? And, and apparently and we the don't chair know was he, like, we don't, oh, fuck, dude. There's like three of them. <laughs> right. like, and we don't, we don't <laughs> actually find out what he heard until the rebirth one shot. Well, he was busy. He had a lot of stuff going on. You know, yeah, I mean, right. come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's um, Batman. So yeah. like, <laughs> this is this project. I feel like I have no I have no faith that it's going to have any bearing on DC continuity whatsoever anymore. Quite honestly, I feel like we could have a whole separate podcast that lasts a year that examines the Three Jokers book 
And uh, it would be exhausting. Absolutely I'm exhausting. exhausted already. I know. I'm already I exhausted. Like, I started sweating when I saw it was coming out next week. It's like, oh, God, people are going to expect us to talk about this and be experts. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? I, 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 DC Comics. <laughs> that pause you it, just made, that's exactly how I feel. That's how my heart yeah. feels when I read this. Yeah. Like, Sigh, dot, 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 DC <laughs> Comics, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. That's, that sums it all up. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, this isn't my pick because I'm excited. It's my pick because I have to know. Right. I have to know. I, I seriously, like, with all this shit that's going on with DC Comics, and we'll talk about it this weekend on Cover to Cover, I'm sure, but all the shit that's going on, I feel like I have a loved one that has been diagnosed with a terminal disease and they're like, I'm going to go skydiving. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> yeah, bucket list, baby. Bucket yeah. list. Like, oh, is that a great idea? Like, oh, yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the THN trade of the week goes to touching evil volume one, the trade paperback from source point press. It is written and drawn by Dan Dougherty. It's 224 pages for 1999. That's not bad. Dang, what a deal. That is a deal. Here's your solicit. Collecting the first story arc of the series, Touching Evil, The Curse Escapes, follows Ada Mansfield, an ordinary woman with an extraordinary curse. She can kill anyone she touches if they're evil. This collects issues one through seven. Love the premise. Totally love it. Yeah, uh, I reviewed the first issue on the show. It's great. Uh, Dan Doherty is a super talented cartoonist. Uh, he does a comic strip online. You can find it on Instagram. It's probably also elsewhere on his website, but it's called Beardo Comics. It's very good. Uh, yeah, I've it's very it. funny. It's really good. Uh, but Touching Evil is a complete departure. It is like a supernatural crime thriller. The art is gorgeous. For fans of the man thing, if you love people that touch people and make them do yeah, shit, you you're going to love this. If you want to burn at the touch of a comic book, <laughs> touching evil is for you. Be sure to hit up your local comic shop and add these comics to your list so you can read along at home and let us know what you're reading too over at our Facebook page, where every Wednesday you can find your official THN reading list if you want to play along. The comic pushers are back, and they're rolling up in your hood in their lowered spider buggy with ground effects and hydraulics that make that shit bounce. And of course, they've got some highly addictive comic product that they are slinging to innocent children. This week, a sweet, innocent little boy named Kevin Coffee hit us up on Twitter asking for the hard stuff. This little guy thinks he's ready for some racial ghoul storylines, but hey. He says, look, you might think I'm just a little kid, but I've read the OG Rachel Ghoul stories and they are dated. They are. I need something new. I get that. Kevin, I would start with something easy, though, like maybe some Mr. Freeze, you know, ease into it, baby. But if you want to go straight for the hard stuff, I'm going to start with Batman Death and Maidens. This was a nine issue limited series by Greg Rucka and Klaus Johnson. This ran through 2003, 2004. It is currently in stock and trade paperback at Diamond. It is a wonderful story. Batman has been traveling around destroying Lazarus pits and Ra's al Ghul is at a place where he has no choice but to beg Batman, his greatest nemesis, to stop, to help him against a woman who wants shared his life 
centuries ago. I'm not going to tell you how they shared it. That's part of the thing. In exchange, he offers the Dark Knight a chance of a lifetime, the ability to speak with his dead parents. But what? Gross. Yeah. But what Batman's parents have to say to him will profoundly affect both the man and the hero. This We're is, so disappointed in you. <laughs> this is young Greg Rucka. He was still so You were supposed good. to be a doctor. <laughs> Why couldn't you just be a lawyer or a dentist? Find a nice woman and get married. <laughs> this is a young Greg Rucka writing a Greek tragedy. It is full-on soap opera. Now, the art by Klaus Janssen. Klaus Jansen is an artist that uh, many comics pros celebrate. He, he is, is a, a legend in the he field. Is he is a legend in the artist's field. Artist. Yes. I am not a fan of his I, pencil I, work. That's where I'm going. I'm also not a fan. With that said, there are panels in this that are beautiful, that are very definitely cool and iconic. I don't love Klaus Jansen, but the story is fantastic. Come for the story, please. And, yeah, and absolutely. It, it's one of those moments. Every time I've read Rachel Ghoul, he's been this all powerful, the demon head, you know, looking to take over the world and shit. And we get this real moment of weakness. And Greg Rucka really humanizes Rachel Ghoul and shows you why Batman has the relationship that he does with him. And it's it's legitimately touching. This is a wonderful story. Very good. My first pick is uh, Contagion and its immediate follow-up, which was called Legacy. Uh, Contagion and Legacy were two crossovers in the mid-90s. Contagion kicked off in 1996. And they set the groundwork for the constant Bat Family epics that led all the way up to No Man's Land. In Contagion, a deadly virus is released in Gotham City uh, by a by a then unknown source. Uh, in Legacy, it's revealed that it's Ra's al Ghul trying his best to follow up on his plan to wipe out the majority of the human race, and this is the closest he ever gets. Yeah, uh, it's also a stealth sequel to Nightfall. It's got the return of Bane. Contagion gives us. Uh, our first meeting, I think it's our first meeting. It is, yes. Our first ever meeting between Batman and Tommy Monahan, star of Garth Ennis's Hitman. It's great. It's cheesy. It's great. It's a big old outbreak story. Oh, it's so fun. It was at that time where they were just like, fuck it, man. Yeah, like Gotham fell into a lava pit. What, yeah, what's right. Batman going to do? Hey, you know? I, I don't know. Uh, it was so like, great. Uh, <laughs> like the majority of Gotham citizens are dying from this Ebola and, uh, <laughs> oh, now there's an earthquake. Ah, shit. Yeah. It, like it, starting with Contagion, it just didn't stop. No, for it Gotham was great. City. Such, so much fun. And like a really wild and woolly time for the Bat yeah. universe. Oh, Great stuff. Uh, this was, uh, you know, um, this was back when Chuck Dixon was writing Detective yeah. Comics. Um, I think I want to say Alan Grant may have still been writing Batman. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But this would have gone through all of right. the bat books of the time. I Robin. Alan. Yeah, I think it was Alan Grant at the time. Yeah, uh, it's it's super fun. 
And the reveal uh, in Batman, I think in Batman 700 is the first chapter of Legacy uh, where they reveal that Rachel Ghoul is the mastermind. So good. Oh, yeah. My next pick is Batman Bane of the Demon. This takes place after Bane showed up and broke Batman's back in Nightfall. Bane yep. decides he wants to find out like where he came from. So he goes back to Santa Prisca, sort of searching for his father. You may recall we reviewed the origin of Bane, Vengeance of Bane, where yeah, we learned that his dad was uh, part of an uprising in Santa Prisca and mom was thrown in prison for dad's crimes because dad died. So Bane, of course, goes back and there uncovers a connection to the order of St. Dumas, the secret cult, which is responsible for the existence of Asriel. <laughs> it's totally awesome. Coincidentally, Gene Paul Valley is currently running around as Batman because Batman's back is broken and he's wearing oh, yeah. this ridiculous bat costume. I loved it so much. There's As also bats. a, uh, I can't remember the name of the storyline that happened in Asriel, but it was like angel and the demon or something like that. And it was all about Asriel taking on Bane because of course, Rosh Al Ghul showed up and said, uh, you know what? Your dad was nobody, but I'm going to give you something that the Batman said he didn't want. I'm going to make you my heir. You get to marry Talia. Fuck yes. Batman. That guy's a dick. <laughs> like you are going to be the dude. And Bane is like, yeah, I'm totally into it. And Talia's like, I am not into this at all. <laughs> like, no, I don't want it. It is such a great storyline. I loved it. It is not, or, pardon me, we found it. It is currently in print in the pages of Batman versus Bane, which is the name of the trade paperback, yeah. which also yeah. contains Batman Bane, which is just like the one shot of Detective 701, where we first see Bane show up in Gotham City after he's left Santa Prisca. It is a fantastic storyline, again, from a crazy moment in Batman history where, like, Nightfall was nuts. Nightfall was death of Superman nuts batman's yeah. back was broken it was all over <laughs> like we didn't know what was going on oh so much fun <laughs> my favorite Rachel ghoul story of all time is not even found in the pages of a batman comic it comes from grant Moore. no i'm sorry it comes from mark wade's mark jla wade. yeah we fought over this one as a matter of fact we didn't fight over we it. Fought. Oh, we fought over who got to pick it. Yeah. Yeah. I threatened to cut myself on Twitter. Remember? That That's was the whole true. Thing. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is from Mark Wade's first run as ongoing writer of JLA uh, issues 43 through 46. It's called Tower of Babel. God, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> uh, Howard Porter is still your ongoing artist, and he is one of my favorite Justice League artists ever. This is Howard Porter, like, top of his game peak, peak, peak of his powers yeah uh so the premise is batman being the uh unstoppable godlike creature that grant morrison made him into in jla has secret files on every member of the team in case they go bad and he's got to take them down because he's batman you, yeah you thought it was just like oh he's got the kryptonite ring in case of superman no 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 
He knows how to take down the Martian Manhunter. He knows how to stop the Flash. Oh, yeah. He knows how to make Green Lantern's powers not work. Because he's Batman. Like, everybody, he would do everybody that. on the team. And it's terrifying. Uh, what's more terrifying is when those plans are stolen by Ra's al Ghul and turned against them. It's awesome. It's so good. The, the moment that like Batman comes out and he's like, I know what's going on. And they're like, well, how do you know? What did you put it? He's like, because I wrote these plans. And they're all just like, what? Dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, why would you, you do that? Like <laughs> you could have told us. And, and there's a wonderful scene too, where Superman like gets his back and he was like, he is who he is. This is what he does. Like he well, plans so I, for this, this stuff. Is, and he's like, don't defend me, Clark. He's like, I'm not defending you. This is awful. <laughs> so yeah, it's got so many great moments. Oh. Uh, his, his plan, his plan to stop Superman, it goes beyond the oh. green ring. He has created a synthetic form of red kryptonite that turns Superman's skin into transparent, like <laughs> not glass, but it, it, it removes, it removes the opacity from Superman's skin right. so that he starts to absorb so much sunlight that it cripples him. Right. He, he like turns him into like a plastic essentially. So yeah, like all the just radiation, like just mind like- numbing pain every second of every, <laughs> yes. of every day. It's fucking uh, awesome. <laughs> Rachel Ghoul steals Thomas and Martha Wayne's dead bodies. Yeah. And threatens them, threatens to drop them into a pit of lava. Or is it a Lazarus pit? No, it's lava. He's going to destroy. No, nah, he. I think he's going to destroy them. You yeah. can't bring the dead back with a Lazarus pit. You right, can right, only yeah. like D eight. Uh, and, and then it's got this wonderful ending, where they've they've won the day. Raish is defeated, and they are deciding Batman's fate. Like, are we going to let him stay in the JLA? Ugh. And it comes down to Superman casting the tie-breaking vote, and you never find out what happens because Batman just nopes out of there without hearing from them. <laughs> yep, he's like, he's just like, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry to spoil that, but it's such a great scene, yeah. and I just really wanted to talk about it. Tower of Babel, phenomenal, these phenomenal. Are, these are four like excellent Rashad Ghoul storylines that hold up way better than the you know the birth of the demon the son of the demon all that which i still like they're totally dated i completely agree iconic historical certainly yeah that was like jim aparo stuff wasn't it uh so the original story would have been neil adams it was uh, it was one of the uh, one of the very first stories that denny o'neill and and neil adams did and it's great they it's great rebooted batman but it is definitely dated yeah i i feel like these the creators we just named took the idea of rosh al ghul and elevated him to the rosh al ghul we know now and love so much so kevin read these get back to us please okay and we want to hear what you thought of these and otherwise we're just screaming into a a friggin' bucket you know about how much we love rush al ghul tell us what you thought you know we need to do enough screaming into a bucket let me tell you (laughs) and by the way if you are looking for reading suggestions hit us up email us subject comic pushers Tell us what you're into. Tell us what you're looking for. Give us an idea and we will hit you up 
with some highly addictive comics that will probably ruin the rest of your lives and leave you in a similar situation that we're stuck in podcasting until such time as one of us drops dead. I mean, just look at us. We're shells of our former selves. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for teaching 586! Next week, we actually convinced poor Alex Packnadel to sit down for an interview on what we like to call the hot seat. Or no, we're calling it gotcha questions. That's right. And I got all kinds of really good stuff that I'm going to hold over his head. I'm going to wait till he's a little more famous. Then I'm going to blackmail him. But we had a really, really good interview. Looking forward to that next week. Until such time, Joe Patrick, please reset the question of the week. We don't have a new one yet. Uh, no, because we skipped cover to cover last week. Correct. Our question is still the one submitted by Rusky South. He asks, what's your favorite example of an old comic that probably wouldn't make it past editorial today? For example, he sent a picture of the cover of Betty and Me number 16 from 1968, where Archie is carrying Betty out of the water. And he loudly proclaims that he had to, quote, beat off three other guys to rescue her. Which I don't see a problem with, you know, <laughs> like quite honestly. It's I'm, all it's in the phrasing. I'm so, not yeah, judging These are problematic comics that at the time uh, seemed innocent, but probably would not uh, hold up to close scrutiny today. Right. Breaking news. We just received a new question of the week suggestion from our lawyer, Ryan Forrest, which we will introduce on Saturday because oh, nice. it's really good. Nice. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Speaking of cover to cover. Well, that's right. Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 1030 live on our Facebook page. And it's the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You will be internet famous. Just ask Harvey Locust. It's Everybody true. knows that guy. Yeah, it's crazy. Everybody. His life is different now. <laughs> That's right. He can't go to the grocery um, store. Not without having sex with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> uh, please do remember to keep it under two minutes. We do need to share the air. We get a lot of calls. Sometimes people get can't get through. We want to get to everybody. If you call, the line's busy. I don't know if there's a busy signal or not. But if you call and it just keeps ringing, leave a voicemail. We'll get to you. We promise. I talk about sex with strangers a lot. Like, it's my, like... It's my bridge for fame. Like, oh, man, now it's just constant sex with strangers. <laughs> you, know, like, you might want to talk to a therapist. That's my bar. If you're new to the show and you're already sick of it, just like the weather in Nebraska, wait 15 minutes and the format is probably going to change. More on that coming soon. But I assure you, it's because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twittednerd.com. Host that many episodes. It ain't cheap. So you want to thank donors. Like Adam K, he was afraid to use his full last name. And I get that. I totally I don't get even it. know it. I totally understand. It's like you're donating to the Trump campaign. You feel gross about it. So you just like do it under a fake name. I totally get it. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. We appreciate it. I mean, I'd say the majority of our uh, contributors work under an alias. Yeah, which, again, that's fine. We get it. Mullen Week, Adam <laughs> K, Harvey Locust. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Tess Fowler, who had her final chemo treatment today, earlier today, before we recorded this show, and she is officially cancer-free. 
word do you test, you absolute badass? Bad news for the comics gate dudes. I'm like, I'm, I'm, what are they? Yeah, like, gosh, they really wanted her dead. What are they going to poke fun at now? That sucks. Until uh, next time. Cancer. <laughs> True believers, remember to pre order your comics, or your retailer might just dig up your parents and throw them into a volcano. This is the two headed nerd signing off. That is dirty pool, by the way. Yeah, like, really, uncalled for. The dirtiest of pools. Ha <laughs> ha